Hello everyone, welcome along to SEN Summer Mornings this Friday. We're all fresh-headed after the Christmas party last night as what we would call a, uh, a more subdued affair. Two Buck Chuck was doing his best work. Two Am Tommy was MIA. Alex was there, but Alex is a class act as always. As for the on-air people... Tumbleweeds. Tumbleweeds. That's all right. That's all right. I was the proxy for Vossie, for Brandy, for Jimmy, for Matty White, you name it. I held a torch... Held the torch to those blokes. Julian King with you. Great to have your company. SEN, 11.70am Sydney. And through the SEN app, as I said, it's Friday. It's my favourite day of the week. Tops are 27 in Old Sydney Town. Partly cloudy. Now, I'd love to hear from you. We're having a few problems with our text line at the moment. So you can try on 0457 736 736. We've, we've kicked the machines. We've turned it off and turned it on again. We've unplugged the ta- cable, plugged it back in. Doesn't seem to be working. So if you want to have a chat about anything sport today, probably best to call me on the open line and I'll happily take your call on 1300 01 1170 while we try and tidy up this text line. 1300 01 1170 and we do have a full show today. We've got the usual Friday chin wag with Jaleesa Rapps. We're going to talk cricket shortly with the great Robbo. Gavin Robertson's going to join us. I reckon he wouldn't mind sending down some of his offies on this pitch there at Optus Stadium. Adam Collins, part of our call as well, will join us later on in the program. Racing with Chris Nelson and Daniel Garb with a football update. Of course, we have to kick it off with the first test. I, I want to start by saying I like David Warner. I've never disliked David Warner. He's the fighter. He's a scrapper. This is a bloke that had to earn everything in his life. But it's the old adage, isn't it? You never write off a champion. And it was one of my fearless predictions, although probably not that fearless. As we came off air yesterday, I said, you know, I can see Warner and Kawaja getting 100. Well, he didn't quite get there. But it almost had destiny written on it, didn't it? After the Mitchell Johnson stuff, you back him into a corner, he comes out in the only manner in which he knows how to come out, David Warner. And he feasts on Pakistan at home. He knows that Sydney, if he gets there, and he will get there now, will be his last test. It's almost got to be mentally freeing. So, well, I'm just going to go out and play. I've got the backing of my teammates. And he did what D Warner does best. And capitalising on that form that he showed at 37 years young during the World Cup. You never write off a champion. And in the process, silenced any debate about his position in the Australian eleven. They said that's why they pick him. Because he can strike like that. He can strike over 70. That's why the man is so dangerous in Test cricket. And I heard Jimmy talking about this morning, of course, he played for Australia in the T20 arena before he'd played a first-class match. He was pigeonholed as a T20 specialist. The thing about Warner and those that actually know the game, watch him closely, he always had that really rock-solid defence. And you can't be a Test cricketer unless you have a good defence. And he had a good enough defence to make it as a Test opener. To the point where he couldn't get a start for New South Wales and... I understand he, he threatened to leave. He said, you know what, I might go into state to look for a, a gig in Shield cricket. Finally got picked and the rest, as they say, is history. And here we are of 100 tests on towards the back end of his career. And he was excellent. Not chanceless, but excellent. 164 for D Warner. 5 for 346 at stumps on day one against Pakistan. As we said, he silenced the critics. And did you see, and we'll hear from Warner in a moment, just the, the gesture in the celebration where does he stand now, David Warner? We can continue this discussion in terms of Australian... We'll, we'll divide it in two because Robert Crash Craddock's done an article today with his top ten Australian batsmen of all time. So where does he stand in that list? Is he in your top ten? And then the greatest Aussie openers, is he the best Australian opener? I think if you're picking an Aussie team to play in home conditions, I think Warner's your opener. A way different story. 
And I remember doing this a little while back when I was filling for Jimmy in the afternoon program. If you're picking an all-time Australian team to play at home, Warner is one of your openers. Statistically, no, in fact, no. He's so at the time, just having a look here, so he's knocked off a few stats in the process here, David Warner. So we had that quiz question yesterday about Michael Clark being the fifth highest run-getter in Australian cricket history. Uh, well, he's overtaken Michael Clark. So 8651. His last 17 test entries, only two of them have been outside Australia. Last one, Bangladesh 2017. And that was his first century, David Warner, in 353 days, as I said, but you're backing him in. He lifted his total, as we said, to 8641. So he's passed in the process. Viv Richards, not just Michael Clark, but the great IVA Richards, 8540, and Verenda Sawag, 8586. You're talking about elite cricketers. Of all time, he's entered the top 25 run scorers in the game's history. But this is the key for Warner. Strike rate over that time, 70.5 per 100 balls faced. 70.5. That is enormous in this day and age, in particular. Significantly higher than the second-place member of that elite cohort, and that was Brian Lara, at 60.5. That was his seventh score, David Warner, in excess of 150 in his 200 test innings. As we said, it wasn't chanceless. Had a little bit of luck. He should have been caught at mid-on after posting his 100. He got dropped by the debutant, Shazad. He had that big leap, got his fingertips to it. And these things happen. Then on 141, offered another chance to Salman Ali Agar when he advanced down the wicket and was beaten. Didn't get stumped. But then reached triple figures. Did you see that? With a typical Warner shot, rather innovative, uppercut, deep third. And then... He had his traditional victory leap, triumphant thrust, removed the helmet as he does, and then this, this very defiant hand-to-mouth motion. And Candace on social had done something similar, emoji-wise, sort of aimed at, I guess, the media boxes there at Perth Stadium. It just had to be him, didn't it? David Warner, you could just see it. He feasts on Pakistan at home. As we said, his mind was clear. A bit of luck, but that's fine. Let's hear from the champion opening bat. It's just anyone who wants to write stories about me and, you know, trying to use headlines, get headlines. That, that stuff doesn't bother me. It's just the fact that I have to go out there, do what I have to do, and I'm allowed to celebrate how I want. Yeah, look, Mitch is entitled to his opinion. He's a former player. Um, you saw Justin Langer's comments. I said he's entitled to it. You can go back to Justin Langer's comments and refer to them, and so be it. Yeah, David Warner. Yeah, Pakistan, very wasteful with the new ball. Wasteful early. The young debutant Shazadi came back really nice with that second year ball, which, let's be honest, we weren't sure would come given how slow their over rates were. I think they had 50 overs completed in the first two sessions, ended up with 84, so they picked up the pace in that final third. Marsh and Carey, I thought, did well to see it at stumps. They were really getting it to move around. Still plenty of movement in this pitch. What do you think? What, what can you see? Can you see the big bison turning up? Maybe Alex Carey, point to prove after being dropped from that ODI site. So he got some runs in him. 16,259 was the crowd for day one. Disappointing. I know Christina Matthews, the outgoing uh, whacker boss, wanted at least 25. But 16,259. Let's go through the cards. So Australia 5 for 346 at Stumps day one. Warner 164. Kawaja 41. Marnus 16. Steve Smith 31. I'd be curious to see how Smith goes this series. Travis Head, 40. Mitch Marsh, unbeaten on 15. Alex Carey, unbeaten on 14. A wicket to Shahina Freedy, a wicket to Shazad, a couple to the other debutant, Amir Jamal, and one to Fahim Ashraf. 
0457736736 is the text line. Now, we've got a text coming through. Well said, Jules. The lack of respect for Warner's career is disgusting. Thank you, mystery man. Well, that, that makes me feel rather relieved. We may have solved our issue. So the text line number, it looks like it's working again. 0457 736 736. His great mate, Usman, who we opened the batting with. Did you notice the black armband by Uzi? So he's found a way, Usman, to show solidarity for Palestinians. He wore the black armband, a silent protest, when he went out to open the batting. So Cricket Australia, they confirmed that he was wearing the armband out of solidarity and respect and in line, of course, with the statement that he released on an Instagram video on Wednesday, which we played for you yesterday on the program. So he's found a way there to a degree, Uzi, to circumvent the rules. Uh, surely one can't be offended by the black armband. And good on him. It's still a statement, though, isn't it? Albeit more subtle. So then the question I ask is this, is it the medium of the message that people take issue with rather than the message itself? I wonder. Now, I, I like this story. Saw it in the Telegraph pop up late yesterday afternoon. St Georgie Lawara has started negotiations to Lewis and Helen's superstar Jack Wellsby to the club. He's the best player in the Super League and issued to a glowing recommendation by Ben Hunt. As I said, as a Red V fan, I don't want to hear from Red V fans. I like it. I like it a lot. The pursuit of Jack Wellsby. Class player. I mean, I think of Gareth Widdop. There's been some wonderful English players in the competitions over the years. I don't know why we don't look at the England ranks more often, to be honest. I know Ricky did that at the Raiders. But Jack Wellsby, you remember that standout in St Helens Shock World Cup challenge win over Penrith earlier this year. Impressive for England in last year's World Cup. And then Flano, the Dragons coach, said Wellsby could play 5'8 or fullback for the Dragons. Because they've got a few issues there with the halves, of course, in and around Junior Ramon, found guilty of that hammer attack, likely to face a lengthy suspension or deregistration by the NRL Integrity Unit. And the upside too, because I know they've been pursuing Dearden. Word is that Dearden's got to stay there at the Cowboys. But Jack Wellsby's only 22. He's only 22. He comes off contract after 2025. The Dragons privately feel they could secure him early. He's also played a bit of wing and centre during his 117-game Super League career. But he's an English Test 5'8 and fullback. So he's a quality footballer. And in the World Cup, he was excellent. Ben Hunt said he was really hard to handle. So players that have played against him, and a judge of the calibre of Ben Hunt, if he says he's good, well, you're back in that assessment. And, of course, yes, it's a challenge in getting some of the English players out of their country. But uh, one of the talking points, not just the money, but you say, well, to these players, test yourself in the best competition on the planet. 0457 736 736. Shane Richardson, we've spoken a lot about Shane Richardson on the network this week. We heard from him as well. He doesn't like the term rebuilt, Richo, as Brent Reid reported. Doesn't like it. We know that he was the architect of Premiership Wins while Chief Executive at Penrith and South Sydney. And I want to hear this if I'm a Tigers fan, because some of the reports are that this is a, a really broken club and they've got many, many years of struggle ahead of them before they start to win games again. No, I don't think it's that bad. He says it's not that bad. Insisted the club was not broken, vowed to replicate his previous success. And he said, there's no such thing as a lost cause in rugby league. That's Shane Richardson. You can't let the media blow you off the track. You can't let the politics blow, blow you off the track. You can't let a loss in the weekend blow you off the track. If you stick together, you come out the other end. But this was the best part. And it's music to my ears if I go for the West Tigers. 
pressed on whether the Tigers needed a rebuild, he bristled Shane Richardson. This is not a rebuild. I hate the word rebuild. It's a rebuild one word or two. It's a build again. Well, the semantics there for you. It's a build again. Who knows how good our young players are? Nobody knows what they can achieve. We as a club can't put any restrictions on them going forward. Took two years with Penrith, ten years with South, but both of those clubs went on to win premierships. You've got to stick with him, you've got to back him, you've got to ride it out. But you've got a lot of really good young juniors, Tigers fans. So, yeah, you know, it's going to be tough. The road back's going to be tough. It might be long. But as Richo said, it's not broken. There is cause for hope. There is cause for optimism. 0457 736 736. Still on the Tigers. Saw this in the Heralds in relation to David Nofaluma. He's been given official warning, Noffa, for being late to training. And the reports are that the odds of him playing for the club, again, are lengthening by the day. By the day. Was sanctioned for not being on time to Tuesday's training session. Only returned to training on Monday. He sat out pre-season for almost a fortnight, as we know, because of this perception of unfair treatment. At odds with new coach Benji Marshall. Do you think he still has value? Rugby league fans, David Norfoluma, does he still have value? Maybe at another club, if not the Tigers. He's obviously talented. I mean, Muggs don't score 100 career tries. He's a very good player. He's only 30. Would you take Norfoluma at your club if he's fit? Could it be one of these, for want of a better expression, depth signings? Food for thought. A one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Now, a lot of people say, please, let's never mention Eddie Jones again, but this is the gift that keeps on giving. So Tommy Decent went to Japan for Eddie's press conference and, of course, he had to ask Eddie questions. This is how it played out. You've denied links to this job all year, I think more than a dozen times. Can we just clarify when you first made contact with the JRFU and do you, do you feel the need to apologise to Wallabies fans for doing that interview before the World Cup? I didn't do an interview before the World Cup. I was asked by the recruitment agency to share my experiences with, with them on Japan. Some people might have construed that as an interview. It certainly wasn't an interview. The first interview I had with Japan was in December, uh, and that's the only interview I've had. Apologise to Australian fans. Yeah, I gave everything I could for that short period of time, and it wasn't good enough. As we spoke about before, I had a plan of what we needed to do to change Australian rugby. We weren't able to, to do that. Rugby Australia weren't able to help support that. So I decided to move on, and I wish Australia all the best. Yeah, I feel terrible about what I, the results of Australia. Because I wanted to go back and, and change Australia. So I feel terrible, mate. Yeah, but I don't feel any guilt at all about this process. And I know you've been banging the drum fairly strongly on it, right? But I haven't had an interview until December. Eddie Jones, it's funny. It wasn't an interview, mate. It wasn't an interview. Yeah, it's sort of, you know, arm's length. But let's be honest, his people were talking to their people. And Tommy Deason said, please... I'll eat my hat if that was. Of course it was an interview. What do they say, Rose, by any other name? It was an interview. Anyway, I think that's officially drawn the curtain on the Eddie Jones saga now that we've heard from Toby Deezus. Didn't Sonny Bill get him with both barrels? Called Eddie Jones a disgrace. And now Ben Alexander, former Wallabies prop, said, you know, no, no, I believe Eddie Jones. Until it's corroborated, I won't believe this this idea or this suggestion that he's spoken to Japanese rugby all of a sudden and came out that he had. And now Ben Alexander's teed off on social media calling Pinocchio and liar and I don't respect liars. Wow. So some of his old charges, not happy with the way it went down.
Sonny Bill is quite sad. My thoughts in this whole saga is that he lied. Eddie Jones lied to the players, lied to the public, lied to the Australian Rugby Union. What a disgrace. That's my first point. That's probably the only point you need to make. Burn a lot of bridges. And further to that, I mean, you know, Japan, do they know what they're getting? Do they keep the receipts? Caveat empt or buy beware. Restocks down. And this is what Sonny Bill said. His track record speaks for itself. I'm a big believer in the proof and the pudding. What's his proof? His proof is he's been fired, sacked from England, burned a lot of bridges. I feel sorry for Japan that they believe this guy is going to take them somewhere where his track record shows that he hasn't been able to do so. Seems like he's a bit out of touch with what's going on. Boom. SBW, tell us what you really think. 0457 736 736 is the text line number. A few texts starting to flow through in and around D Warner. I'll catch up with Gavin Robertson shortly on the program and get his assessment of Warner's innings, Warner's career and all the happenings on day one. What do you reckon? 500? You can see the big bison getting 100? Now, Robert Crash Craddock, I want to run through this before we get to the break. And I'm a big admirer of Crash's work. And he has written in the papers his top 10 Australian batsmen of all time. Now, I've got issue here. Bradman, one, no dispute. Steve Smith, two. Border, three. Ponting, four. Chapel, five. Hayden, six. Steve War seven. Warner, eight. Clark, nine. Gilchrist, ten. Now, let me preface this by saying they're all wonderful players, all outstanding players. But with respect, I can't have Warner at eight. I love Alan Robert Border, love Alan Robert Border, my all-time favourites. But there's no way Alan Border is a better player than Ponting or Chapel. No way. You can't have AB ahead of Ponting and Chapel. Adam Gilchrist, I adore Adam Gilchrist, he's part of the SN family. One of the most entertaining cricketers in history. One of the nicest blokes in cricket history. But you can't tell me that Adam Gilchrist is a better test batter than a Neil Harvey, for example. It's like nobody existed before 1980, with the exception of Bradman. You can't tell me that Gilchrist is a better batter than Harvey, or Hussey, or Bob Simpson. That's all I'm saying. And we love a list on this network. So 0457736736, would you change something in Crash's list? But further to that, a top five Australian openers of all time. Now, I'm just sort of thrashing something out here, and I might change it because I've got about seven. I've got to whittle it down to five in no particular order. I think you've got to go, you'd have Warner in there, Hayden, Simpson, Arthur Morris, Victor Trumper often gets forgotten, overlooked the 39 test average. Trumper was a master. And then, you know, William Morris Laurie, maybe Mark Taylor. Bill Ponsford, there's another one. Have a think about that. Your top five Aussie openers. And what issue do you have with Crash Craddock? And Dragons fans, are you happy with this pursuit of Jack Wellsby? I am. 0457 736 736, the open line number. I want to take your calls. 1300 01 1170. Up and running this Friday morning. Jules in the chair for Matthew White. Welcome back to the program. Julian King on the chair for Summer Mornings. The text line is sort of working. So Tommy sent through about 30 text messages. Test, test, test. They haven't come through. But I've got a few through from Spud Freudian. Slip in that clip from Eddie, the trader. Yes. You're right. Anyway, less said about Eddie, the better. He kind of half admitted that. He, yeah. Anyway. Here's what it is. Let's put that, consign it to the dustbins of Wallabies history, shall we, Spud? Uh, seriously, enough with Eddie. Who cares? That's what. That's it. We're done now. I just had to wait for Tommy Decent's 
um, questions to Eddie because I thought that was very newsworthy. No one wants him. You're talking about David Nofaluma, Tiger Davo. No one wants him, Julian. For 500000 good luck, we're stuck with him and that attitude. Well, you know, he played with Benji, didn't he? But what was interesting is that Lee Hatcher-Pentelis, who we didn't know when he spoke to this network, Navossi and the Missile, on Wednesday, he said, well, you know, he looked after his daughter and became very close family friends, a wonderful human being, 30 years of age. We thought he was going to support him, but he said, no, no, he's got work to do. I back him to do it, but he's got work to do. So even Lee didn't spring to his defence. So from what we know as outsiders, the ball's in his court as to what he wants to do. Does he want to stick to the standards that Benji Marshall is trying to implement there? Or not? And it's a sad state of affairs, 100 tries. Like I said, Muggs don't score 100 career tries. He's a gifted player and he's 30. He still should have plenty of good football ahead of him. Melbourne Storm saw enough for him to want him in their system. Could Nofaluma still provide value at another club if he gets himself right? I think he could. 0457 736 736. Warner has no grace or class about him. So tired of him against everyone, Tiger. Really? I think he's, certainly the way he's conducted himself post Cape Town, he had a year out of the game, has been impeccable. Pretty impeccable. I don't think Dave was given the shush symbol in his celebration. I thought he was kissing his wedding ring or asking Mr. Kiss his yes. We'll leave that there. Thank you very much, 567. We'll catch up with Gav Robertson shortly to go over everything that happened in day one. Well done to David Warner. A 26th test century to him. Let's get the news headlines. Julian King with you on SEN Summer Mornings, 0457 736 736. Australia, 5 for 346 at Stumps on day one. I thought we'd catch up with Gavin Robertson, former Australian spinner, to get his assessment of what happened over there at Optus Stadium. He's on the line right now. Morning, Robbo. Good morning. How are you, mate? Mate, I'm going very well. We've got to start with Dee Warner. You know, it's interesting, isn't it? In the build-up, the Mitchell Johnson stuff and people cite the, the home-and-away record and all, it, it's like everybody's looking for a reason to knock this bloke. And not to say that he's perfect, but you go back to when he made his debut, T20 debut for Australia, hadn't played a first-class game. It, it seems to me, and then he had to convince them that he was a Red Bull player as well. It just seems to me that Warner Robbo has sort of spent almost his entire career trying to convince people, either personality-wise or ability-wise. And he's delivered now 164. Oh, look, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, I, I got... Um, look, when it's all said and done, when he started, we saw him as a T20 player. And we're talking back to, you know, 2010, 2011. But it only took him really 18 months to own and prove that he was a test player and he changed his whole structure of how he thought not just how he batted, but mentally how he thought. So look, when you and you look at his numbers, 2011 right through to 2020, absolutely brilliant. And the only reason, and, and look, I mean, with regard to, and you're saying, Julian, like why are they talking about him in a negative way over these last, what would you say, 12 months? Is that one of the primary things you've wondered about? Yeah, probably last even 24 months. And, you know, I think the questions can be asked, but I suppose after yesterday's knock, that's sort of the answer to say, well, this is why we've been hanging on to, to David Warner. It's it's really simple. And, look, I, I honestly think that um, the Australian public has been confused by it, but it's very simple. And, look, I'm, I'm 
let's just pretend there's myself and there's about eight other blokes and we've all sort of played cricket together for, you know, 20 years. And basically what we've worked out, if you look at the numbers today that, like Dave's, the only reason he's been spoken about is because the last 44 innings, um, he's averaged 28 with the bat out of those 44 innings at 1,240 runs. The only reason he is still there is because there are no list of players knocking the door down saying, excuse me, sir, I'm doing really well at shoe cricket. I deserve to be in. So we don't have the stock. And that's why Dave has been lucky enough. And he's still, yes, he's still good enough. But that is why he's been lucky enough to stay on in Test cricket for these last three years. The other simple thing for the public to understand is, let's just pretend for one minute it's 15 and 20 years or 25 years ago. Then if you go through the numbers, um, you're talking Dean Jones, uh, Martin Love, Mark Waugh, Greg Blewett. The list is about, I think we've come up with about uh, 12 players that basically got between four and seven months of failures and low average scores uh-huh. and they were dropped because yep. there wasn't one player or two players waiting to get in. There was nine to 14 players waiting in shield cricket to get in, averaging 45 to 53. And that's the only difference. And I think we haven't really been fair to the the public. I think, you know, Cricket Australia or someone really, it shouldn't be sort of me or the older players having to explain this. The only reason that David Warner's name has been brought up is because of his numbers. The only reason David Warner is still there is because there is no young stock coming through. Yeah, I think about, you know, Slater, Hayden, Elliott, for example, you know, the 1,000-run shield seasons, competition at the top of the order. The other thing there, I suppose, too, Robbo, when you look at his record, 100 tests, how much currency do players build up uh, to give them a bit of leeway when they go through lean trots in the test team? Oh, look, they do, yeah, absolutely. Um, But as again, you know... If you're going back to the, the look at the three players you just mentioned. I mean, what did they get? They got about uh, between six and eight months of failure, maybe a year at the most of failure, and they were gone. I mean, Michael Slater, you know, seventy-four tests. His numbers are really good, but he had a he had a bad seven, eight, nine months. Gone, finished. No, no more playing because there was someone else who could come in. And all the, the primary difference is there was lots of stock of there was let's say, a dozen players waiting to get into the Australian team because they deserved it with their numbers. Today, in theory, there's only really Bancroft from Western Australia and that's about it. And that's the... Um, this is... this is this. I think your, yours and my conversation over this six minutes should delete anyone's worry because that's the factual situation. Mm. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's interesting what they're going to do post-Sydney with regards to that position. Oh, you know, the more I think about it, the more I think they're going to try and find a way to squeeze Cam Green back into that side, potentially at the top of the order, as we've seen, I suppose, with, with Shane Watson. Let's turn to the attention on the field yesterday, 5 for 346. Uh, what do you think, realistically, the Aussies would be hoping for this first dig, Robbo? 
Oh, look, I think they want 500 and declare. Um, you know, I wouldn't go on too much longer today. I'd really, I'd really be aiming to be aggressive if, to get one or two partnerships going, which they can. They've still got enough batsmen to do it. And uh, 500 declare, get them in and really yeah. aim to... Because uh, one thing that I noticed yesterday, were you absolutely blown away how constant the ball moved all day in, in Perth? It blew me away. It was, it was remarkable. Even just before the new ball, 79 overs, it was still doing something. You know, that, this is why it was disappointing because Pakistan were really wasteful at the start of the innings, I thought. But that final session, Robbo and Shazad, I thought, bowled beautifully to both Carey and, and to Marsh. So it's doing a bit. So they did well to see it through to stumps, Pakistan. But, well, you know, if they held a couple of catches, say, it was a very different match scenario. Well, just say you and I, right, we're just having a, a, a lasagna at the pub together watching, right? And when you say to me, oh, Robbo, we've got to get the packies in because I reckon we're going to knock them over for a certain figure. What would that figure be? What would you say in the first innings? What's your guess? Uh, look, looking at Stark, Cummins, Hazelwood, and knowing how to put the ball in the right areas on these Australian pitches, you know, if you could knock Pakistan over for between two and 300, I think you're doing pretty well. I think that's good. You and I, we, yeah, we're on the same page. I'd say 265, we'll knock them over because mm. I just am blown away by the shape. And I, I think Pat Cummins, uh, Mitchell Stark will be really on the money. I, I, I think the ball, to me, as you said, the 79th over is still shaping. It happened all day. The wicket's very good. I'm very impressed. We've obviously grown up with the Wacker. The new deck is very good, and I think we're going to be all over them, and 500 is is very much... Enough runs and let's get them out there. I just think that um, what did they do wrong? They just dropped too many catches. Yeah, yeah. And again, like Shaheen Afridi, you know, yeah, he's a class player, but I thought very wasteful with that first near ball. And they didn't pick a specialist spinner too, Robbo. I mean, you know, particularly spinners of, of Nathan Lyons. Zilky's four away from 500, uh, indestructible mm. if you remove that calf injury from England. But, you know, he, he's going to relish yeah. this bounce, isn't he? I think he'll he'll do well over there, he really will. And, and look, you know, look, look, if you look at the uh, framework of the Pakistan bowlers, the four or five spinners they've got, they're te- technically they're, they're they're not bad, they're good, but they're not in the claim Mushtaq era. You know, the, to me, mm. I'd like to see if you watched the bowlers yesterday. Um, you know, sliding around the ball. Not, I, I want to see, and I'm talk, when I'm talking to young off spinners. I want to be, if I have my chance again, I, I want to be Nathan Lyon. I want to be someone who drives over the top of the ball. To me, if you look at Shane Warne, you look at Nathan Lyon, was it spin where they got all of their wickets or was it bounce? And you will find from the stats that it's bounce. And what I lacked and what most people, and if you look at the spin <laughs> bowlers you watched yesterday from Pakistan, they lack bounce. And that's because you, any young people out there listening now, Yes, bowl an off spinner or a leg spinner. The drive over the top, so you got that ball wanting to yeah. go forward when it bounces and bounces high. And I think that's why Nathan Lyon's been so successful. And I was a little bit disappointed. Um, but mind you, Pakistan, they're used to old sort of flat turning decks. And this part of the world is very different for them. Well, you said driving over the top. I was about to say, how did you get your wickets on Australian pitches, Robbo? 
Yeah, well, I mean, I was six foot four. I was sort of lucky, but when I do look at my technique, you know, look, I was reasonably happy with my bind, but, you know, for, at, at a 57 year, years of age, I'd say, I'd say to young people, you've got to keep getting over the top. It's very easy to get lazy and start to cut down to the down the side of the ball. You're still bowling an off spinner or even a leggy, but it's like, say, Zampa, for example. Zampa doesn't... Zampa bowls reasonably flat, a lot, a little bit like Swepson, and what they both lack is bounce. Uh, Shane Warne, remember the bounce that he would get. Stuart McGill got amazing bounce. So to me, the learnings for me over the years... Um, you know, Anil Kumbh, if you remember him from India, he obtained yep, bounce. Yep. He didn't spin it a lot. But it, as Steve Waugh would say, or Mark Waugh even, or, or even Mark Taylor in, in just chatting at golf, the most difficult thing for a batsman is to face when, when the ball is bouncing because all of a sudden the inside edge is dangerous and silly mid-on and silly mid-off become even more dangerous. Good to get your thoughts, Rower. Good to fly. Best of luck to the Aussies on day two. Hopefully they can press home the advantage. I can see the big bison uh, chipping in with some some fast <laughs> runs as well, mate. Uh, yeah. Go well. Thanks, Robbo. Cheers, mate. You have a great Christmas, and uh, I'll be with SCN for the SCG test match. Looking forward to it. You take good care. V- Yep, great stuff. There he is, uh, Gavin Robertson, uh, sounding in better health too, Robbo. 0457 736 736, breaking back with more. Welcome back, everyone. Second hour of the program. First hour of the program to our beloved Queenslanders. A good morning to our friends north of the Tweed, tuning in via SEN 693 AM in Brisbane at 1620 on the Gold Coast. And a very good morning as well to our friends listening in the Emerald City in Sydney, 1170 AM. The text line number 0457 736 736. Shortly, we'll catch up with Chris Nelson. SEN track analyst. He'll try and tip you a winner in both Sydney and Brisbane tomorrow and we'll catch up with Jaleesa Raps as well this hour. one 1170 Queensland listeners in particular. Now, I talked about this, touched upon this in the first hour of the program. So Crash Craddock, proud Marone as you know. You may have seen this today. Named his top 10 Aussie batsmen of all time. And the list is as follows. Bradman, Steve Smith, Alan Border, Ricky Ponting, Greg Chappell, Matthew Hayden, Steve Ward, David Warner, Michael Clark. Adam Gilchrist. Now, Bradman, no argument. Steve Smith, probably no argument. Border, I know love, you love Alan Border and his New South Welshman originally now, a proud Queenslander. You can have him. AB at three. You can't have him at three ahead of Ponting and Chapel. Hayden at six, I think, is high. Steve Waugh is in the list somewhere. Warner at eight is high. And Adam Gilchrist at ten, can't have him at ten. Can't have him as a better test batter than a Neil Harvey or a Mike Hussey, for example, or a Ponsford. So I want to get a Queenslander's perspective on that today on 0457 736 736. To the open line we go. Morning, Greg. Um, recency bias. Yes, there's it's a bit a, there. It, it's, it's the one thing that you just cannot ignore when it comes to trying putting together top 10 lists of any kind in any sport. It's always going to take precedence. Uh, you also have to, in uh, in our game, um, look at dividing the timeline into probably three distinct eras. Mm. So you've got the pre-covered wickets, you've got, and you've got the pre-helmet era. So you've got post-helmet, pre-helmet, pre-covered wickets. They're the three deciding factors that stop you from actually putting a definitive top ten list together. So from that point of view, it's nice to have a personal opinion on that crash, but nah. It's not going to work because, yeah, as you said, you're going to miss out on people, on correct, people like correct. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and the other thing too, Greg, is 
you know, I suppose the only way to look at it is, well, not the only way, but uh, an important way to look at it is how do these great players from any era stack up in relation to their peers? You know, it doesn't matter if it's cricket, it could be tennis. How do you compare Laver to to Djokovic, for example? How much better were they than their peers? And and also further to that, and you think about how they choose rugby league immortals, so you've got to go way, way back when you didn't have footage. They They weigh heavily on the anecdotal evidence. So those in the know look and say this guy or this girl was second to none as a player. So they're the other sort of things that inform these decisions. But, but you're absolutely right. I mean, Gil, I love Gilchrist as attacking. He changed the game for keeper batsmen. But you can't say that Gilchrist is a better batter than Neil Harvey, for example. No, no, you can't. Because unless you've actually seen them all play, uh, you can't purely and simply go off stats. You look at the, mm. the early days. And, uh, and who they played. Yep, there's all of that. And the other example I'll give, too, in relation to cricket, uh, Greg, is, is Victor Trumper. Now, Trumper, you look at his numbers, test average 39, and go, OK, it's not that great. But you read about him. He was the superstar. And there's talk about his funeral and all the tens of thousands of people that crossed the harbour. Uh, anybody who saw him at the time said Trumper was an absolute genius with the bat. So you're right, it's not all about figures. And, you know, a sport that you love, Greg, in, in football, and people name the greatest Socceroos team, and, and you know, Viduka and Kuhl and Kate, they're wonderful players, but, you know, those beforehand are often forgotten in these conversations. Yeah, totally, totally. Uh, and as I said at the start, recency bias comes in, so you can break things down to specific eras, and that's about as close as you can actually get. Mm. It's a fun conversation to have, though, isn't it, Greg? Oh, yeah. It's what keeps us going, let's face it. It does indeed. Oh, just quickly, uh, for the role, is he back in your Socceroos squad, Greg? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. To me, he's a better player than um, than Jamie McLaren and mm. certainly any of the others that are being talked about. But you've got to play him up top alongside somebody. He's got to be able to feed off somebody like a Mitchell Duke. He's, he's and then uh, not a standalone number nine. Yeah, and then uh, Matty Ryan with that—I think it's a fractured cheekbone. Is Gouchy the next man up? You presume? Uh, yeah, quite probably. Unfortunately, I'd love to have Mitch Langerak in there. Yeah, he's been the former same. Australian keeper for the last three years, but ignored for whatever reason. Mm, maybe Arnie can have a chat with him, talk him out of international retirement. Good to hear yeah. your thoughts as always. Thank you, mate. Thanks, Dylan. Cheers. One three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Morning, Shane. Jules, how you going, mate? I'm all right for a Friday. Good on you, buddy. Um, look, I was just looking at um, your squad of 30 for NRL sides, and mm. every squad should have at least four front rowers. I'm looking at the Bulldogs front rowers. Their starting front rowers are Max King and Liam Knight. They don't really strike fear into the heart of opposition forward packs. You know who their other two front rowers are in that squad? Uh, refresh me. You know, you get a bit hazy in the off-season when I'm in cricket mode, Shane. Uh, well, there are other two front rowers and nobody. They don't have any other front rowers. That's it. Okay. Yeah. So why did they drop out of the race for Adam Fanua Blake and put all their money after Luai? I mean, they've, they've mm. signed up a stack of backs. I know they're not all first graders, but, mate, Luai, Fanua uh, Blake is the key. You get him, straight away you're a contender. I can't answer that question. You know, Gus is a smart man. Cameron Sorrell is a smart man. Obviously, they have a plan with regards to what they're doing. Uh, maybe they just, you know, got the accountants out and said, we need somebody like that, but are we prepared to break the bank on, you know, one or 1.2 mil a year as the Dragons have offered 
you know, so it's now down to them and the Sharks. So, you know, I'd be happy if the Dragons get him. I think they need it. You know, Flano said that they needed another middle. And he plays big minutes as well. He's one of those rare front rowers like a Payne Haas that can play 60 minutes a game. They are worth their weight in gold and can ball play too. Oh, mate, and mobile as anything, yeah. Maybe the Bulldogs can play um, your new favourite player, Kurt Mann, in the front row. Kurt Mann. People ought to knock Kurt Mann. I like Kurt Mann at the Dragons. I always saw him as a 5'8". You know, came out of that Melbourne system. He's, he's all right. Look, I, there's a lot of utilities. I don't know how they squeeze them in to be honest, but it's not a problem for me, Shane. Chris Patola, Sam Hughes listed on the website as their other props. So there you go. Who? Who? Chris Patolo and Sam Hughes. Never heard of them. Mm. Well, Chris Patolo, I have. Yeah. Uh, well, they play Metro Cup or something, do they? Probably. No, Chris, Chris yeah, has played a bit of first grade. Don't know much about Sam Hughes. Yeah. Anyway, well, good luck, mate. I don't think they'll go. They won't make the eight. They'll, they'll be right out. Yeah, and just the last thing on Nofaluma... Yeah. You think he'd have enough runs in the bank to get a bit of leniency there? You could see what they're doing. West Tigers are look what the Bulldogs did to Raymond Fatala Mariner, and they're thinking, let's put the acid on him too, and let's see what if we can break break the young bloke. He's got a few problems at home, obviously. Let's see if we can break him. I'm glad Cliff Newton's there stepping in and pulling these clubs in the line because if they got away with it, West Tigers, they'd set a precedent. Every time some bloke turns up in the off-season and he's not 100%, they say, mate, your contract's in trouble. This is why they've got to have a strong union and pull these clubs into gear that think they can just use these players as commodities. Yeah, well, the reality is that players are commodities, Shane. Of course, they're bought and sold on the player market. But, you know, on the flip side, I mean, clubs are allowed to set their standards, aren't they, in terms of what they expect from players and, and, and fitness benchmarks and the rest of it. And I don't well, know the ins and out of it, but, you know, even Lee Hatch-Patellis, who's very close to David, you know, but he, even he didn't spring to his defence necessarily. He said, you know, he's got he's got work to do. Can he get out of it? Yes, he can, but it's up to him. Well, mate, he, he was at the Storm where they trained harder than the first-grade club in Sydney. He pulled, mm. He'd done everything down there expected. Obviously, he's come back there. Does anybody think it might be West Tigers that have the problem, not Nopaluma? But it's only him, though, is it not? If you heard it from three, four, five players, then maybe I'd say yes. But if it's isolated to one player, then no, I'm not convinced it's a club necessarily, Shane. Well, he's a veteran. He's got the runs on the board. He's a great Australian He player. does. I think they should give him some leniency. If not, send him down to Melbourne and you can have Olam. We'll do a swap deal there and we could put Coates in the centres and Nofaluma is quite welcome play on the wing. There's always ways around it. West Tigers might have to top up his wage a bit, but I, like, I don't like the way clubs are doing this more and more stingling out players. It seems to be a bit of a, a thing that's happening all the time now. It's only going to get worse, I think. Sort of put a rocket up, maybe, you know, by, by floating it in public. Yeah, it's not ideal, you know. What I say, praise in public, criticise in private. All right, Shane, good to get your thoughts, mate. You have a great weekend. You too, mate. See ya. Thank you, mate. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. the open line number. Dan says, how is it Michael Clark on Crash's list? Yeah, he is dead. He absolutely is. Clark is number nine. So we've got Warner at eight, Clark at nine, Gilchrist at ten. Oh four five seven seven three six seven three six. The text line number thirteen minutes after ten, thirteen after nine in Queensland. Time to catch up with SEN track analyst Chris Nelson. We do that each and every Friday on the program and Chris will do our very best to find your winner. Uh, looking at the races for Randwick and Eagle Farm tomorrow morning, Chris. Good morning, Julian. We'll uh, give it our best shot this close to Christmas. Hopefully we can add a little to the uh, 
the Christmas uh, wallet before the uh, before the uh, expenses really start to kick in. That's right. Yes. Thank you, Pat Benatar. Hit me with your best shot. Let's go to Randwick. Race three, fourteen hundred meter Kia Aura Prague. Zephoria, the current favourite at around two sixty. Yeah, and I'm pretty keen. Uh, Gay Waterhouse and Adrian Bott have this Billy Zuforia going around. Look, she's only had the two runs this time in, but her win last start, I thought, was very good. She was going 1,100 first up to 1,400 second up. Uh, she didn't dawdle in front. She ran along. She ran some pretty quick sectionals, and she was still quite strong to the line, and she's going to take a lot of benefit from that uh, win. She's got no uh, weight with the claim. She was down around the 50, 52 mark. So she's going to take a ton of beating. And we know with these horses from the stable, they go forward and they try and break the hearts of their rivals. And I think that's what she'll do tomorrow. So race three, number 10, Zuforia looks the first of the good bets at Ramwick. And following that, race four, over 2,000 metres, the, to- the Toyota forklift. Yeah, number 10 here, Kapakiri, Chris Waller and to- uh, Tommy Berry combined now. One, two straight. I like the uh, Eagle Farm win two back in a maiden. Then went to the Sunshine Coast at a feature Saturday re- a meeting a couple of weeks ago, about three or four weeks ago now, and she was a good win. I know it was uh, suited getting up along the fence, but the sectionals home were very, very strong. You think this horse is, uh, is suitable over further? Well, it gets to 2,000 metres. That was 1,800 metres that day. So the step up in distance is ideal. Gate number one, won't spend a penny in the run, and you know he's going to be strong late. I think can step up a, a notch. I think we can back this one confidently each way. Race four, number 10, Kapakiri. Race four, number 10. Now, let's head to Brisbane, Eagle Farm. Race four, over 1,200 metres, benchmark 78. For Miko, the current favourite at around $3.60. Yeah, and that is exactly the way I'm going here. She's uh, she's only had one start for Tony Golan, and that was the second at the Sunshine Coast back on the 24th of November. Now, her pattern is generally to get back, and that's exactly what she did from the wide gate. But, gee, she was strong late. She really charged another five metres or so and she would have won. She gets to 1,200 metres tomorrow. Ryan Maloney jumps on, one of our top jockeys up here. And I wouldn't be surprised if she did settle a little closer for Tony uh, from gate number five before any scratching. So I think she'll run really well. Race three, uh, sorry, race four, number nine, Fumiko. And let's head to race number six over 1,400 metres. Shah of Goma, the current favourite at the moment, Chris. Yeah, and he looks really well placed, Julian. Uh, he's a horse that doesn't have a lot of luck in his races. He tends to draw wide. Uh, he's drawn 11, 10, 3 and 7 at his past four starts. And the one that he won, of course, was when he drew gate 3. Well, he's drawn gate 2 tomorrow. There's not a lot of speed in the race. You know where Jimmy Orman's going to position him, and that's up in the first couple. And from there, he's going to be very, very hard to beat. He's such a consistent animal. He's the sort of horse you'd love to own. He never puts in a bad run, and he looks perfectly <laughs> placed tomorrow. I think he'll be winning Shower of Goma. And then we head to Eagle Farm Race 8, 1,200-metre gold edition plate abounding the current favourite. Yeah, this is a good race. Uh, a bit of an early lead-up to Magic Billions three-year-old guineas in around a month's time. Abounding ran second in the mode last start. That was two weeks ago. She ran second to West of Dolby. Now, West of Dolby was able to get up along the inside, Four abounding had to come very wide around the home turn. Reverse those runs, and I'm pretty sure you'd reverse the result of the race. That was her first start for six weeks. She's going to strip a lot fitter for it. I think she'll be very, very hard to beat tomorrow. I think she's one of the better bets of the day. Number nine abounding in the gold edition. Number nine abounding, one of the better bets of the day. And then Eagle Farm race nine, is it going to be far too easy for far too easy, Chris Nelson? Well, I think Far Too Easy is potentially the best horse in the race, but gee, he's short, and he is first up over 1,400 metres, and that, to me, is a slight concern. And when you're taking short odds, you really want everything in your favour. 
The other uh, well-performed horse in the race is Scalapini, but he didn't do a lot first up, and he might be better placed in Melbourne these days. So I've gone a bit wide. I've gone for some value here. A horse that's mm-hmm. been good to me over time is number five, Irish Songs. Now, he didn't have much chance last start in a race that was dominated from the front, but when he draws a good gate, he gets on a good track, he gets around this distance range, he's a very hard horse to beat. I just think he might be the right horse in the right race at the right time tomorrow. So Irish Songs from gate two, he travels really strongly in his races and he can really finish off as well. So have something each way him. Race nine, number five. Irish songs to not long after the death of the Pogue singer Shane McGowan. So you never know, Irish songs yeah. might triumph. There you go. Thank you so much, Chris. Good luck tomorrow. Happy punting. You too. Thanks, Julian. Have a great weekend. There he is. Chris Nelson, SEN Track Analyst. Gets down low, hooks it over the top of everybody and twenty rows back into the stands. He was almost on his knees when he played that hook shot. So we've got the, the two gullies back for Warner on 98. Jamal round the wicket to him. And Warner, short ball, down towards the third. Gets himself a boundary. David Warner leaps with glee. He's turned the clock back. Maybe not the innings with the highest degree of difficulty. But has contained plenty of his trademarks. Aggression, pressure, creativity. And what a brilliant way to start his final lap around the country. Gave the helmet a kiss. All the theatrics we're conditioned to. His 26th test ton, 20th in Australia, 6th against Pakistan, and his 4th here in Perth. A nice way to silence the critics. Now look, it's my job to come out here and score runs, and now that was from the from the get-go to put pressure on the Pakistani bowlers, and uh, the Rebels have had a bit of a partnership with Izzy, and now it's made to myself. Talk us through the emotion. Can you remember exactly how you felt when you realised you'd picked up that 100? Oh, look, it's just a, another Test Match 100 for Australia. And, you know, it's something we try to do when we or try, try as best we can to, to do when we go out there. And, you know, it does feel, it feels great, but, uh, look, there's a lot of runs out there to put on the board for, for the bowlers to bowl at. Um, it looks nice. Uh, put in the right areas. Uh, it's challenging. And the celebration, that's a unique one. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, I think, you know, you, you said it just at the start. It's one of those things, there's going to be criticism, but you've got to take that and uh, no better way to, uh, to silence them by putting runs on the board. Yeah, there you go. David Warner, highlights of his innings, first innings, 100 there at Optus Stadium. 164 of 211 balls. Kawaja, 41. Labashade, 16. Steve Smith, 31. Travis Head, 40. Mitch Marsh and Alex Carey. Salton through to stumps, 15 not out and 14 not out, respectively. So a pretty solid first day for the Australians. I spoke to Gavin Robertson. And he suggested, well, you'd be looking at sort of 500. Don't want to go too much longer than that and have a crack at Pakistan today. If you can roll in front of 300 and, you know, maybe you send them back in. Teams tend not to enforce the follow-on as much these days. And then we'll take it from there. But Australia, at 5 at 346, if these two can build another partnership, will find themselves in a very commanding position. I'll get the thoughts of Jaleesa Rapps shortly on the program. But in and around David Warner... Let's have a look at his figures. So 200 innings, eight not outs, 8,651 runs, high score of 335, an average of 45, which as an opener is outstanding. 36 times, sorry, 36 fifties, 26 hundreds, three double hundreds, 12 ducks, two pairs, 69 sixes, 1,021 fours, 12,270 balls faced, but this is the thing, 70.51 that's his strike rate. That's what sets him apart from the other openers in the country at the moment. There's only one D Warner. 
That's it, 70.51. And so this has to inform the thinking of the selectors post-Sydney. Are you going for a specialist opener? A lot of the ex-players said, yeah, you've got to plumb for Bancroft. He's, he's done everything asked of him, been the leading run scorer in Sheffield Shield cricket. Maybe you go for Renshaw, who has scored big runs for Australia at a young age. So I think he's the sort of player that can step up to that level again, Matthew Renshaw. Marcus Harris, been in and around the squad, always part of the extended squads. So they're the three that people talk about. But if you want somebody that can go at a decent clip, do you look at potentially a Mitch Marsh who can bat quick? Or a Cameron Green? And the more I think about it, the more I think they might opt for Cameron Green just to get him back on the side. Just to get him back on the side. Because that's how highly touted is he is, this West Australian all-rounder. So they take on the West Indies in two tests following this. The question is, who's going to replace David Warner at the top of the order? 0457736736 and the open line number 1300 as we said, still having a few issues this morning with that text line, so they're kind of coming through, drip feeding through very, very slowly, but if you want to chat cricket, rugby league, anything you want to talk about, best thing to do reach out to be in the open line on 1300 Jules, agree with Robbo, Warner's a great player, his recent poor form says he should have been dropped, the problem is we have no standout up-and-coming players demanding selection. The public are over Warner's arrogance. Why do we persist with average all-rounders? Marsh and Green have had so many chances, like Warner keep them a chance as eventually they score. Well, that's a bit harsh on Cameron Green. He's in the early stage of his career, 20-odd test. Did get dropped in England, Cameron Green, but he's that good. He hasn't, you know... I wouldn't say Cameron Green's had so many chances. He's the future of the side. Mitch Marsh has. By his own admission, hasn't taken those charges. Had a fair few injury concerns too, but you picked him in England... Marsh is in the prime of his career. It's pretty simple. You score runs, you get picked. As for David Warner, yes, and, and Gav Robertson, you're right, went into this and said, look, if somebody was banging the door down, hitting a 1,000 runs, six shield centuries at 70 per 100 balls, then you might say, okay, that might have spilled the end of David Warner's career earlier than we're currently seeing. But they haven't. And that's not David Warner's fault. And the thing about it is, and I keep going back to the strike rate of 70, they say that's why they picked him. Because I always felt with Warner, and yes, you get to 100 tests and play the manner in which he's played, you do have runs. Well, you do have, have credit in the bank. And Warner certainly had credit in the bank. Had he had exhausted it? Maybe. That's debatable, especially through India. I thought his England tour, actually, this time was a lot better than 2019. Didn't have it all his own way, but forged some important partnerships there at the top of the order. And he did look like he was playing with more intent. Had an outstanding World Cup. So it says to me that he still had the capability, even if his returns were diminishing somewhat, David Warner. But, at the end of the day, first test of the summer, 164. Can't ask much more than that. Does it justify the selection? Well, that's debatable. And you're right, you give them long enough, eventually, well, they're going to turn out a good score, aren't they? But he was always characterised as this bloke that was just that one knock away, David Warner. 0457736736. Uh, Dan, thank you for your list. I'll get to those in a minute. You started watching Cricket 93.94, the top five men's and women's you've seen. I'll touch upon that shortly. Let's get to the news headlines. I don't know if people have been on this for a while or late to it, but avocado and Vegemite on toast, that is a match made in heaven, isn't it? It's like peaches and cream, coaching a team, sun on the sea, oyster and a pearl, guy and a girl, perfect match, that kind of thing. Warren Kawaja at the top of the order. To 2am, Tommy, in a moment, and we'll speak to Jaleesa Raps as well. James is on the line. Morning, mate. Oh, I hope you just had avocado and Vegemite. I feel sick. 
What do you mean? James, James, it'll be a party in your mouth and everyone will be invited. Do it. Hey, no way. Uh-uh. Sorry. No, I'm going. I'm going to sit at home and start knitting on that. That's a party. No, thanks. Well, let's hang on. What, what would you have on your toast of a morning, James? Bananas. If you had a big night the night before, sliced banana. Yeah, I'm with you. Sliced I'm with banana you. on it. That's really good. Yep. Yeah. And otherwise, strawberry jam. Yeah, a bit boring. Strawberry jam. The homemade stuff, not the normal. Not the off the shops. If you go to not, the little not market the cotties. The, uh, no, okay. yeah, yeah, you get the, get the country style uh, homemade and that from out in the bush and that from their little market stalls. That's the best. Mm. Yeah. The one of the little the, the checkered cloth over the top, tied with a, a rubber band, yeah, like yeah. the gingham, the gingham yeah. print. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That sort of jam. That's good. Yeah, I can't stand the smell of Vegemite. <laughs> can't. Un-Australian. Anyway. Uh, I used to eat it as a kid, but I can't anymore. I can't, can't smell it. My kids used to eat it and force me to eat it. So I used to have some with them, but no, not now. Can you stand David Warner? Yep. I Good. mean, I, you cheer, everyone cheered for him when he first came on and making tons. And as I said, I always say... There's more than three people knew what was going on in South Africa. So don't say, you know, he was a scapegoat. Yes. That's all. Yep. Yeah. Um, I'd love to hear what happens if he's ever come out. But a lot of those players are still playing, so it's not until way after if it ever does. Mm. But um, regarding Warner, and they say, no, he went through a lean patch, you know, and he's aggressive, 70, whatever, 72 or whatever, strike rate. How do we know the inside in the dressing room didn't say, right, Davey, we want you to go out. Okay, you're not that so well. Go out, play your natural game, start swinging for it and get yourself back in. Yeah. Uh, don't get many runs. Uh, okay, take out Broad. Broad was getting, had, the, had the mickey over him. But how do we know that wasn't the plan from inside? That's what I'm saying. Everyone on the outside always wants to criticise and make up things without knowing the full rules and, um, you know what instructions have been given. So if everyone cheered him before, they're cheering him now. The only thing, I thought I backed him to score a ton yesterday and somehow the bet didn't go on. He's paying six bucks for a ton. (laughs) Warner will bat like Warner. Warner will bat like Warner, James. And further to that, Neon Chappell always made this point, right? So, uh, And he, he, he gave the example of Doug Walters. He said, Dougie could score 100 in a session, but he might flash at one and get out early. And so the people that criticise him for playing an errant shot can't then turn around and congratulate him for playing that same manner when it comes off. All right, you take them for what they are. Warner can be a bit boom and bust, I get that. But striking at 70 at the top of the order, gee, he can set an innings up and take a game away from you. Uh, in terms of instructions, I, no, I don't think they're going to say to Warner, bat this certain way. They'll just say, just be you. Because being him has got him to 100 test matches, 2,600s, and over 8,000 runs. Got to fly, James. Thank you so much. 0457 736 736. Before we get to Jaleesa Raps, got to talk to 2am Tommy for the first time today. We missed you at the Christmas party last night, Tommy. I've got to tell you, there's probably more more energy in a knitting circle than there was at the venue <laughs> last evening. Morning, Jules. Alex, all the listeners out there, yeah, had a family um, function on, so apologies mm. I couldn't attend last night. Um, but 
what I was watching before that was just a great a great innings back against the wall performance from David Warner. And you spoke, you touched a little bit on it there, Jules. I love athletes, and I might be in the minority here because I, I love David Warner. I love athletes who are unapologetically themselves. Sure, mm. David Warner will have his critics, and that's fair enough. I, I respect your your opinion. If you don't like him for you know if he rubs you the wrong way or you think he's a bit too confident, a bit too arrogant, I love that in my athletes. That's why they're the best. Like, All right, I'm going to throw two names at you, Tommy. Yep. Nick Kyrgios. Yep, I, I like Nick Kyrgios. I understand. And it's probably because of my age as well. I understand, like, I'm a bit yeah. closer to, to Nick's age. I, I, I understand. He Is he frustrating? Yes, because he's got all the talent in the world and he could win Grand Slams, multiple Grand Slams. Is he entertaining? 100%. There's only a handful of other tennis players I'd probably say I'd rather watch than Nick Kyrgios. But Nick Kyrgios on his day, I'd probably want to watch him more than maybe the top five in the world at the current moment. But I understand yeah. where he's come from. Uh, but I understand why people don't like him. If you li- don't like him, I'm not going to call you an idiot. I'm going to say, okay, cool. That's where we differ in opinion there. Mm. I'm curious. We read those comments out yesterday. He said, you know, the players today are better because we serve at 220 and Becker hit back. Uh, Nick, I think Curious is wrong on every level. Um, doesn't mean I don't like watching him play. Or uh, what about what about Chock? Who's the other name that comes up a lot? <laughs> yeah, Chock can dig himself into a hole. Um, and yes. he did that earlier in his career. That's why he didn't really go over to the States. We all know the comments that he made in regards to that. But again, that's part of his sport. You've got to sell yourself if you're a boxer. So I think some of it's manufactured and you've got to see through that kind of stuff. Same with Kyrgios. He's doing it because he's also um, playing in a solo sport where you do have to sell yourself a little bit. Does he go a bit too far sometimes? Sure. But as you said, you've got to take it. I mean, that these you can't take it too seriously as well sometimes. And what I love about Davey is he contradicts himself a little bit yesterday, Davey, where he does the shush celebration, but then at the same time he says... Nah, it doesn't affect me. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. affect me. Well, if it didn't affect you, you wouldn't be celebrating. But then again, athletes use this stuff. They always say, I don't listen to the critics, don't listen to the critics. Some of them probably don't. They they zone out and they get in their own little in their in their heads, and that, that's how they perform. But some use it for motivation, and coaches as well use it um, to then implore the athletes to use it as motivation too. But I mean, you went through it this morning, just for his, for all of his critics, there are only four guys to have scored more Test runs for Australia than David Warner. Uh. So at the end of the day, the facts and the figures and the stats back up. And that, that's what Davey's going to say when he retires. Look, you can hate me, but look at my record. And for all the people that say, I saw a lot of people saying, oh, 15 of his last 17 centuries were scored in Australia. Two buck chucks did it this morning on breakfast. Well, guess what? Where's the series being played right now? In Australia. We're not playing in England. We're not playing in, in the subcontinent where he doesn't have a great record. And also, on the other hand, people are saying, well, he shouldn't have been picked. The same people who are saying he shouldn't have been picked for this series, um, you know, let Bancroft, let Matt Renshaw, let Marcus Harris have a chance. You know, he's been there, done that, David Warner. Are the same people who are now saying, well, it was a pretty average, ordinary um, bowling lineup yesterday. Well, you can't yeah, have you it. You want to discredit it. You can't, yeah, you're right. You can't have it both ways because Steve Smith, probably the second greatest batsman since... Um, Don Bradman, he got 31. So what are we doing here? The thing about it is, to, and yeah, people want to cite this disparity between Warner's home and away record, and I get all that. And Bancroft, and the, these guys are very good players, but particularly off the back of his World Cup form, I don't see how the Australian side was better if you left one out for this test and replacing with any of those three gentlemen. And further to that, and I know we're going to get to a break, you know, it's hard, as Greg from Sansusi said, it's so hard to compare across eras, but you know what a key marker of success and greatness is, Tommy? Longevity. Yeah, consistency. Longevity. Bad players don't average 45 
and have 26 centuries after 100 odd tests. He Bad averages just under 60 in Australia. I mean, yeah, I, with the strike rate of 70. Yeah, it's and he's ridiculous. one of the all time greats. One of the all time greats in Australian cricket. That is without question. And if people want to disagree with me, tell me why. On 0457 736 736. Thank you, Tommy. Thanks, Jules. We'll take a break and we'll catch up with Jaleesa Raps on the other side of this. Jules in the chair on Summer Morning. Great to have your company on Summer Mornings, 0457 736 736. Let's catch up with our great friend Jaleesa Apps from SEN of the Seven Network. She's on the line right now. Morning, J.A. Good morning. How are you? I'm well. Are you back from the country since the last time we spoke? Yes, I've made it back, but um, soon. It's actually my last day of work, so soon to be back there. So fear not, Borer. I'm coming back. Oh, we're not fearing. We're not fearing. Uh, welcome back to the big smoke. And just in time, of course, for the start of the Test Summer. It's the unofficial start of the summer, isn't it? Uh, Australia in a dominant position. All the talk about David Warner, 164 off 211. What did you make of the innings? What did you make of the reaction? Well, um, I think David Warner kind of saved us a little bit because, yeah, it's a, a 346 is looking like a pretty decent score but without that 164 there's no one else that really was very impressive I mean Usman Khawaja, Travis Head got in the 40s, Steve Smith 31 wasn't overly impressive so thank goodness for David Warner, he certainly cemented any talk of you know should he be um, should he be given his farewell, well we kind of need him, if he wants to play on that'd be great. Well it's so funny they're joking, so what if he decides after Sydney, you know what I might Stick around for the West Indies. Why not? You know, right. Wouldn't that be an about face of all about face? I don't think it's going to happen somehow. But, you know, the 164, this is a thing. Uh, with, when it comes to Dave Warner, it's always a case of, well, he's, he's got one of these around the corner. And they've been sweating on it. They probably yeah, yeah. would have wanted it to come sooner. But, you know, home conditions against Pakistan, you felt, uh, given his strong record against this nation at home in particular, you felt that it was just. And, you know, with all that, the storyline surrounding him, the lead up, the Mitchell Johnson stuff, it just, you got that sense that he was going to deliver yesterday. Yeah, if he never needed any reason to deliver, I mean, Mitchell Johnson gave it to him, didn't he? Like, just to, to prove everybody wrong but um i mean the timing of what mitchell johnson was saying was uh not great for his point because david warner has been in uh, really good form and you're right everyone could sort of feel like this was coming yeah yeah it's um you know and the white belt form that he carried over people say it's a different format but you know for somebody of his caliber that's played as much cricket he just needs to feel the ball in the middle of the bat and that's enough for him pakistan think about it is i mean they wasted the movement early. The second new ball actually bowled really, really well. Shazad in particular, I thought. But the thing about it is it took a couple of catches. The complexion of day one looks a bit different. Yeah, um, I was actually pretty impressed with um, Pakistan bowling towards uh, the later sort of time. I, I thought they were maybe... I actually thought everyone is kind of underestimated. Everyone's been talking about this test summer and it's not going to be very interesting and blah, blah, blah. But I actually think um, Pakistan maybe are being underestimated a little bit. Like, I think the West Indies, um, no one probably needed an encore of that, what happened last mm. year. Um, but mm. Pakistan, I mean, they've got some good, strong uh, bowlers in there. But, uh, their batting is what um, what we'll really have to see if they can test ha handle the, the quicks that we have. Yeah. 
Yeah, Barbara's arms are class, but I just think, you know, on these pitches, they're so yeah. accustomed to them. And, you know, Hazelwood and Cummins, two of the most accurate bowlers in world cricket, I'd, I'd be... If they get 300, I think they're doing well, Pakistan. Australia's still a bit more batting. I can see the Bison chiming in today and maybe up the ante in that first session. If they get around 500, and, you know, maybe to clear and have a crack at them before tea, um, that's how I'm predicting it'll go. Hey, just on the rugby league front, uh, David Nofaluma, if you're a betting person, Jaleesa, has he played his last game for the Tigers, do you think? I would have said that, but I would have said the same thing about Raymond Fatella Marina at the Bulldogs a few weeks ago. Remember when we were hearing that, you know, he wasn't going to come to training and he was banned and um, I actually spoke to him um, a few days ago and he said he he's all in now and um, you know, he's a very proud to be a Bulldogs player and that he was never banned from the club. So uh, interesting how these things sort of play out behind closed doors. So I would have said, yeah, he's probably has, but then I would have said the same thing about Raymond. Now, your beloved Raiders, we know that Ricky has a soft spot for his pursuit of English play. So can you give a glimmer of hope to us Red V fans? There's rumours or talk in the papers today that they'd be very interested in the services of the English 5-8 and Helen star Jack Wellsby at 22 years of age. Is it worth throwing the kitchen sink at another pommy, Jaleesa Raps? I think it's worth throwing the kitchen sink at anyone at the moment. I'm a little bit concerned. <laughs> what about us? I've got real... We'll be right. No, I've got real... No, I fears for the for the Raiders. What are you talking about, the oh, Raiders? No, talking about the Dragons. They, they're looking about uh, looking to get Jack Wellsby and was saying, obviously, Ricky has invested over the years in a number of English players. And I wonder, too, why clubs don't sort of think more outside the box and cast the net further and wider to, you know, extract some of this talent from the UK. You know, I think it... You know what? I thought it... Um, I thought that it made sense maybe a few years ago. But now that the game has changed a little bit, I'm not sure that the English players have the impact that they did when, you know, back probably just before that premiership when the Raiders did recruit all the, you know, we had John Bateman, we had all those English players that kind of took them to the uh, grand final, unfortunately not the premiership. But um, I think that they had a greater impact. And if you look at that season that, um, they got to the grand final. That was all uh, John Bateman one-on-one strips. And then everyone kind of figured out how to negate that. So I don't know whether they have the impact that maybe of the few years ago and purely just because of the, the changes in the game, but you probably need to get anyone. Uh, well, Jaleesa Raps, an anglophobe, as we revealed on the program today. What's on the agenda for the rest of the <laughs> afternoon? Uh, well, I am heading um, to the Bulldogs are doing some um, some really nice charity work, so I'll be heading along to that. And then Tommy Turbo is speaking at Manly. I feel a little bit like deja vu. I feel like every few years I keep doing in the preseason the Tommy Turbo's back from mm. injury story. I'd love yep. next year to be doing a off the back of Tommy Turbo's fantastic year for Manly. Dally M winning season <laughs> that brought Manly yes. back into finals yes. contention. Yeah, yeah uh, he's a ripper bloke. Feel like last. Last season we were talking about, you know, how he'd been to America and this was it and then obviously yeah. had a shoulder in origin and it just feels yeah. like we're just feels like deja vu. It does. Deja vu all over again as Rex Mossop would say. Gotta fly, thank you, J.A. Okay, bye bye. And Jaleesa Raps, break it back with more.
Welcome back, everyone. Finally on the program on SEN 1170am in Sydney, SENQ 693 in Brisbane and 1620 on the Gold Coast. And a good morning to our friends tuning in via the SEN app. There'll be plenty over in the West at the moment are up bright and early listening to the program, all in readiness for day two of the first test between Australia and Pakistan. The Aussies well positioned at 5 for 346. The innings headlined, of course, by... The besieged David Warner's 164 and what is now surely his third last test match, although strange things have happened. Adam Collins heading up the call for SEN and he joins me live on the line right now. Morning, Colo. Yes, good morning to you. I think your proposition is correct there. David Warner will get his preferred farewell at the SCG. That much is confirmed. Well, you did joke on air yesterday. I heard much of the call. You know, what if he decides afterwards, hey, just kidding, I might might bat on and, and, and feast on the West Indies? <laughs> I mean, I mean, it would be very in keeping with David Warner's contrary mm. personality, would it not? Uh, no, I, I can't see it happening because it's very few... Well, not many cricketers get to choose their own dismount mm. point. Full stop. I mean, typically it's a, it's a bit like politicians, right? Like most careers end in tears. Um, it, it's not often you can go out. I'm not, I'm not saying Warner's on top necessarily, but going out on your own terms is a, is a luxury. And he's been afforded that on the basis of a massive career. He went past Michael Clark and Matthew Hayden for runs in Test cricket yesterday. Um, now, nobody in Test cricket has scored more runs at a high strike rate than David Warner. It gives you a sense yeah. of the, the overall contribution he's made, and those bulk numbers do uh, contribute to that tale. So, yeah, Warner will be there at Boxing Day where he made 200 last year, and he'll get to... Um, have that final goodbye at his home ground against the side who he's enjoyed devouring over well, a decade now. He's had a great record against Pakistan and yesterday contributes to it too. Indeed. I think it was PJ Keating who said at the end of the day, we all get carried out in the box. Um, hopefully that's not the case exactly. for, uh, for D Warner. <laughs> you know, the thing about it is, and we still on the text line, Colo, get, get knockers in the world. You know, the, the disparity between the home and away record, no, it's only Pakistan. Mm. So you can only play against who you can play. But, I mean, if you look at this card, he's had 47%. Of that 346 with that 164, it's just, I don't know, particularly, I suppose, post-Cape Town, what more he can do? There'll always be a part of the cricketing community and, and the community at large who won't accept David Warner and, and probably didn't to be blunt before Cape Town. Yeah. Um, Cape Town reinforced opinions of Warner uh, and I think he's at peace with that. I think he's been at peace with that for a really long time. He's a... He's a cricketer who's there to make runs, not to be loved. He's not, you know, to stick with our political analogy, trying to get elected to anything. So um, David Warner, I think, uh, will enjoy a very happy post-cricketing life, knowing that uh, a lot of people respect what he did as a batsman primarily. Uh, and look, yes, you can, you can point to his diminishing returns over the last couple of years. That's palpably true. However, um, as far as what he's able to do when he's on, like yesterday, scoring as quickly as he did, it does rather sharpen the focus yep. on who's going to replace him at the top yep. of the list, doesn't it? Because how many people can score at the sort of strike rate he can in the first session of a Test Series? He's one of a select few in the history of Test cricket who do that. And when they're you know, running through those who might be uh, playing in, in Adelaide and Brisbane later in the summer, Renshaw, Harris and, and Bancroft are the three who uh, are duking it out at the moment for that spot. None of them do that particular thing. They do plenty right. They make a lot of mm. runs, but they don't mm. score at that kind of tempo. So... Um, there'll need to be a recalibration of the Australian Test team post-David Warner because he's been this enterprising player. Who, and, I, and I quite like the fact that he's bringing some of his white ball tricks back to red ball cricket right at the very end. It's like he's gone full circle.
Yeah, totally. And he'd be buoyed by his performances in the World Cup, and that's a thing. And people want to say, well, white ball cricket's not red ball cricket. But in the case of David Warner, who has played so much cricket, he knows his game. He just needs to feel the ball in the middle of the bat, and that's enough for mm. him. But, you know, it's been said that that 164 probably justifies to some extent, the leniency that has been showed by selectors, coupled with the fact that the three you mentioned there weren't banging the door down, I guess, in terms of, of strike rate. And that's the, almost the assessment of Warner, isn't it? That knowing how quickly in the clip he can score, that you felt that he was just always that kind of one knock away? Yeah, I think that's right. And, and look, he, he's not asking to play on now in perpetuity. He, he's designated when he wants to retire. So if he wasn't making runs here, I did ask Pat Cummins this before the test match in the interview we do do with him on our coverage. And um, Pat didn't emphatically say that Warner would make it through to Sydney. He said that he was picked for this test match and that, like everybody, he'd be judged on his returns. I think it's within the realms of possibility if Warner has a double failure at Perth that he gets dropped before Boxing Day. I I don't want to um, brush over that point. I, I do genuinely think that Warner was picked here, but... Uh, on the understanding that he needed to con- continue to make a contribution uh, to ensure that he got what he wanted. But, of course, a century here um, shuts that conversation down. It does. Look, he wrote his luck a bit, and that's not his fault, of course. Uh, the thing about it is there's something in this pitch, and, and the complexion of the match could have looked a bit different if had Pakistan firstly put the ball in the right areas and then, secondly, mm. taken their catches. And, you know, even the 79th over before the second new ball was taken, and I think there was a time we were wondering if they'd even get to 80 overs, Pakistan, yeah. given the slow over rates. But th- there is something in this pitch, isn't there? And, and, look, Australia will take the 346. Yeah, good pitch, I thought, yesterday. You know, you're right, there's something there. Not, not, not huge amounts. It's not, it's not the whacker of 1989. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's also not the lacquer of 2015, um, which was a, a dead surface that, um, that brought the end of Mitchell Johnson's career in the space of three days when he said, I can't do this anymore, running on pitches like this uh, dead in Australia. So um, since they've moved across the river, uh, the surfaces here at Perth have given more. It is a drop-in. So typically we think of drop-in, drop-ins being uh, more docile. But for whatever reason, the technology here at Perth being a new stadium and a new drop-in, they seem to have got the balance right. Uh, and this does feel like a pitch which over the course of five days will give plenty to fast bowlers and, and with a bit of luck it might break up and give something to the spinners as well and truth told really it's only one spinner in this test match. I know Salman yep. bowled 22 overs yesterday for Pakistan but Nathan Lyon is the only true genuine number one spinner in this test match. He's enjoyed a great record here across a couple of test matches, picked up a, a six for on the final day this time last year. So yeah, big tick for the pitch so far and, and there has been something there. I can see the Bison putting the foot down in the first session and a half, uh, looking at the crystal ball. Uh, what do you think Australia might do? You know, get to the 500, think about a declaration and, and have a lash before tea potentially? Or just after tea? Yeah, it's a, long, it's a long way between now and then. Remembering they are five down and the second new ball yeah. is only a few overs old. So if they were to lose an early wicket, it could change the complexion of that. I know that we in Australia are conditioned to them batting for five sessions, declaring and running amok with the ball. And fair enough, right? This is the this is the game plan for Australia over decades, batting first on the first day of a series, making the visiting bowlers toil uh, and then making the most of it and taking advantage of the situation they've gotten themselves into. But, um, yeah, they're, they're only two wickets away from it being a slightly different conversation. So I think they'll be more circumspect early on, uh, treat the second new ball with a degree of respect and then see where they're at after that. But the key thing for Australia will be Marsh and Kerry getting themselves back in, not taking any undue risks and seeing where they are, maybe... Um, 45 minutes to 60 minutes into play. No, they should have the, st- the score near enough to 400 by then. Uh, and yeah. then they've got 
uh, a variety of options as to how they could play it thereafter. But I think your your broader point about Mitch Marsh is correct. But uh, at home, he he would love to put on a show for his fans here. Yeah, Shazad, I thought impressed mightily with that second new ball. Slow overrates, we touched upon it. I think they got through only 50 in the first couple of sessions. You could write a thesis about it, couldn't you, Colin? Dare I say you have, um, you know, there's talks about shot clocks. Uh, is there a, a, a perfect solution here? We haven't got a perfect solution yet, but I'm really pleased we've started having the conversation because we'll find one, right? For a long yep. time, front foot no balls were a problem that we thought were intractable. It's a solution. We didn't quite know how we were going to resolve that. We fixed it. Third umpire deals with it. The errors that were being made by central umpires not calling front foot no balls, that became the, the major challenge towards the end of that era. It was that umpires were so scared of calling front foot no balls, they called none of them, and that, that, that has its own problems um, built in. So th that's resolved, and I, I feel relaxed about um, us moving to a shot clock style where there is discretion there. There's going to have to be discretion for the central umpires, and that's part of them helping run the game with the captains. It's always... Uh, been that way that the umpires out in the middle have a responsibility for the way the game works but equally having some guidelines in place about needing to for example um, get through uh, within 60 seconds from over to over they're implementing that you know on a trial basis in yeah. the Caribbean starting this week in a T20 series between the West Indies and England so let's see how that works on oh, my sense was that's a bit lenient not not the 60 seconds but I think you needed to um, uh, fall short of that three times before you adopt any penalty runs or whatever it is so might have even been five times. Anyway, my point is is that they're, they're seeing how that works in the first instance, and if it has some success, then I, uh, I can see it coming to a, a test series soon. Uh, the other thing, it, it won't just be about end of overs, though. It'll be about, I think, between balls, ultimately, because we saw what happened in England this year mm. when mm. Ben Stokes, and Pat Cummins to an extent, but really Ben Stokes, was slowing the game down as much as he could, as much as he could as captain. You know, we had 90-second consultations, ball to ball. It was ridiculous. Overs were taking 10 minutes, and they didn't care. Um, they got stung harshly with World Test Championship points, but um, I, I think they thought being members of the old big three, they could have them overturned, and Usman Kalaja <laughs> wrote directly yes. to the ICC and had some success with that as well. So, um, you know, uh, there, there are rules for some and, and rules for others with these things from time to time, and... Uh, they might have thought they could have gotten away with it. But no, I think the, the conversation's moved on from there to how do we fix it? Uh, and we might be able to use the World Test Championship points as a, uh, as a stick, but, but where's the incentives there for players to get through their overs that they're meant to in a given day? Yeah, I think Stokes' defence was, well, they were entertained. I'm not sure that's going to quite cut it. Yeah. Maybe, you know, I'm not a fan of run penalties, Collar, but maybe you eat into the luncheon break because I can tell you, you know, they say Lords <laughs> has the best best lunch anywhere on the planet and there's no way they're going to miss out yeah. on those cucumber sandwiches. Mate, just very quickly before we let you go, I know you're a student of the history of the game. Anybody that tunes into your, your wonderful Final Word podcast along with Jeff, oh, Crash has put a you. list, uh, my pleasure, a list of his top ten Aussie batsmen of all time today. And he's got Brabham, Steve Smith... Border Ponting Chapel, Hayden, War, Warner, Clark and Gilchrist. Now, I couldn't have Border at three as much as I love Alan Robert, but he'd be in the top ten. I can't have Warner as high as eight, but I couldn't have Gilchrist at ten. So I flicked a message to Crash and he said, ha-ha, it's all good fun. I was looking for a bit of a stoush, but I think, hello, Neil Harvey, hand up, even Hussey. You know, yes. it's, 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 it's a good debate to have, albeit futile at times. Yeah, uh, and you go back to the 19th century as well with the smaller sample sizes, Billy Murdoch, for example, um, yeah. Trumper in the early Trump, 20th century. I mean, it, Ponsford, these, these things yeah. are very, very difficult. Yeah, Ponsford, you look at raw numbers, you look at averages, and um, what you need to do is weigh them against what scores were at the time and playing on uncovered pitches. And, yeah, I think we sometimes get a bit fixated on what's happened in our own lifetimes. And, uh, yes, there, there were greats, true greats of cricket, 
that happened well before you and I were born. Um, and I'm sure in 100 years' time, when they're having a similar debate, they'll go, who is that, who is that Warner bloke? He only averaged 45. He, was, he must yeah. have been much chopped. Um, Rubbish. You know, they won't realise how he revolutionised opening the batting in Test cricket for Australia and, and, and bringing us full circle to the start of our conversation there, I suppose. Great to get your thoughts as always, Colo. Go over spell, do some, uh, I don't know, commentary box calisthenics, uh, and we'll catch you and Whitey in the call in about 45 minutes' time. Thank you, my friend. Cheers, I enjoyed it. There he is, uh, Adam Collins, uh, SEN commentator, all set for day two. Australia 5, resuming at 5 for 346. 0457 736 736. The open line number 1300 01 Julian King on SEN Summer Morning. Great to have your company this Friday morning, Julian King and Summer Mornings. Now, Dan, I did say get to your text after 11, 10 o'clock in Queensland. Top five Oz men's batters I've seen. You started watching cricket 93, 94 against the Wendy's. Ponting, Smith, Clark, Hussey, Hayden, decent list. And then in the women's, Lanning, Perry, Healy, Blackwell and Rachel Haynes. Great list. Fantastic list. I'd probably have Beth Mooney in that list somewhere. Oh, it's a tough one, though. It's a tough one. Six or one, half a dozen. Isn't that right, Dan? Thank you for your text, 0457 736 736. Well, Daniel Garb is the everywhere man. He loves his football. He loves his West Coast Eagles, which means he's going to be an apologist for Optus Stadium, dare I say. And he's filling in for Jimmy all next week on Afternoons. He's on the line right now. Hello, Garby. Hello, Jules. 12,000 isn't bad for a Thursday against Pakistan, is it? Hey, 16, please, 16. 16, was it? It was even better. It was. It was. It's like, you know, when you play cricket and you, and you get 26 and they go, well, you get 30-odd. You just sort of just nudge it up, don't you? You, you round it up. <laughs> you round it I up. I mean, if uh, that was being held at the Wacker ground, the place would look three-quarters full, so... It would, yeah. I'm not sure that, yeah, but then people complain about the, the dilapidated facilities there at the Wacker ground as, as well. I think Gideon Haig once described Optus Stadium for cricket anyway as um, having the atmosphere an aircraft hangar. It's a bit nicer, isn't it, when it's packed out for an Eagles game? Yeah. I think that's the biggest issue there. You know, a lot of people point to the, um, the Justin Langer sacking as uh, the reason for the disconnect between Cricket Australia and the West Aussie fans. I'm not sure it's about that. I, I just think it's more the transition from the WACA. I think West Aussies, they felt really connected to the WACA. That was their mm. cricket ground. They loved going down there. And uh, Optus is an unbelievable stadium. For mine, the only thing that beats it for a stadium in Australia is a packed MCG, but it doesn't have that same feeling and warmth when it comes to a day of test cricket for the average cricket fan out west. So I reckon that's the main reason, to be honest. Did you like Davey's innings yesterday? 164? Silenced a few critics, didn't oh, he? brilliant. Yeah. It was brilliant. I did find it a little bit humorous, though, that he said he um, he's not bothered about the media criticism, but then when he brought up the, three figures... Did the sure the shush. <laughs> Yeah, that's you right. You weren't bothered. Why would you give the shush? Yeah. And I, I like it, to be honest. I, I thought it was great, a bit of theatre. But, you know, just admit that, yeah, you didn't rate it and you wanted to give it back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You see that a lot, don't you, with sports stars, particularly in, in your sport, football. You know, score a goal. There's, there's a way to silence the crowd. Champions League group stage, Garby, wrapped up yesterday. Uh, Newcastle, Man United, uh, both finished bottom in their groups. They drop out of Europe completely. And we've got this new format, don't we, to the group stage next year. The comp expands to 36 teams. Are, are you a fan of this change? Not really. I think, mm. you know, the Champions League back in the day used to be for just the league winners. You know, and you had to win your league to make the European Cup. The expansion of it has been great. You know, it's not just the champions now. You top four or top 
three in some leagues and, and so on. And we've got group stages and it, it's wonderful and it's added a whole new dimension to world football. But w- why extend it beyond that? We've got the Europa League. We've got the Europa Conference League. And now we want to change it up even more? Like, uh, come on, there's got to be a limit to how much broadcast money you're trying to make yeah. in UEFA. You know, just leave it as it is. It does not need to be expanded. You've got the Europa League and Europa Conference League there, and, and they're growing all the time. You know, the World Cup expansion, you know, I'm not a fan of it because I think it dilutes qualifying. But once the tournament starts, it's okay. We'll get used to it. More teams will get exposed to it. the top-class football. They get their time in the sun, and that's okay. But uh, I don't think it's necessary for Euro- European competition. Real Madrid went through their group undefeated, as did Bayern Munich and, of course, Man City. You know, Man City, can they go back-to-back with the treble? They're four behind your beloved Liverpool at the moment. They've dropped a few more games than ordinarily they would have. It's just, I was fascinated by highly successful teams, you know, how much mental fatigue there is from season to season. Yeah, it's definitely an issue, but I think what they do so well is they rotate their players for three quarters of the season and by the time the final 10 games of the campaign rolls around in the league, they're fresh. And it's happened so many times with City. We sit there at this stage of the year and we've gone, geez, they've rotated too much. Why would you mess with your back four? Why would you give this attacking player a rest now? You know, you're upsetting the rhythm. You know, they're five, six points off the pace. It's not going to happen for them. And then it gets to the mm-hmm. final 10 weeks. We saw it last season against Arsenal. It was like an 800-metre race and they just left the gunners at the 650 mark and blitz past them because they're just mentally and physically fresher because they've been able to rotate. Now, this season could be a little bit different in the Premier League because Arsenal have been through it. They've had that run. They know what it's all about. The Premier League title race is a marathon and you've got to be up for it mentally for that final two months or so. And Liverpool, a large portion of the squad, even though they've turned over their midfield, have been through it before. The manager certainly has. So they'll be well-conditioned. I think it could be a lot tighter this time around, and let's not write off Faston Villa either. And let's not write off yeah. the United going in the big run. And we're never going to write off Ange Postacoglu, of course. So it could be mm. interesting, but I do think it's a three-horse title race, City, Arsenal and Liverpool, and City will come good in the final two, three months of the season. They always do because their players are just a little bit fresher. Speaking of your Liverpool, uh, went down this morning. Uh, still go through, though, from the Europa League group, as do West Ham. Yeah, I and mean, that's not a big issue for Liverpool. They were through already. Um, West Ham and Brighton have both topped their groups. And Rangers, which is uh, is great to see. They had a big win, 3-2 away to Real Betis. So they moved through. And, uh, yeah, the hope that the English teams, they usually do well in the Europa League, will be able to challenge uh, once more, and that's exciting. But for Liverpool, of course, they, they played the kids because they're setting up for a home game against Manchester United in the early hours of Monday morning our time. And it's still the biggest game in English football. It, it there's is. no bigger rivalry. And uh, United fans are fearful because they got absolutely thumped a record margin in the fixture 7-0 at Anfield last season, and they're in a worse Thank place you. this time around. So they are. Thank you. As you know, Jules. Thank you. Yeah, you're scared. I can understand the fear that Manchester United fans oh. are feeling right now. You know what? Even though City game made fears, that was, what, 3-0, I think. And then they actually were reasonable against Chelsea. And then I don't know what happened a, a week later against... No, it was a Bournemouth. But anyway, the less said, the better. Uh, breaking news this morning. Garby Scans confirmed Matthew Leckie set to miss the next four to six weeks with a hamstring injury. Uh, Matthew Ryan with the injury as well. We've got the Fawn Rowley form... Um, 
some, well, I don't know if they're headaches, but um, some problems to solve for Ange and the Socceroos ahead of the Asia Cup. Yeah, a big issue for Arnie. Um, I think Matt Ryan will be okay. I think as a goalkeeper, the fractured cheekbone, it was sort of a, a three to four week wait. You know, if it means he misses the first game against India, so be it. He goes. That's not a drama. You know, if he has to wear a, a face mask, he'll manage. I think Matt Ryan, you can you can lock away without too much of an issue. Matt Leckie is a concern. So four to six weeks, 32 years of age. He's had some injury concerns lately. Yeah, I think Arnie's going to have to ponder whether he takes him and saves him for the knockout stages or not. And that's always a tricky one for a manager. I think he takes him and hopes that his experience, we all remember what he did this time last year, scoring that wonderful goal against Denmark in the group stages of the World Cup to get us through. You know, that's going to be in, in Arnie's mind as well. So I think Leckie goes, but yeah, it's definitely a concern. Might be a blessing in disguise in terms of getting a youngster promoted to the team to play on the wing, someone like a Sammy Silvera, who's been doing well for Middlesbrough, and to maybe start for the Socceroos in a, a big game at an Asian Cup, and then you save Leckie for the knockout stages. But it's not ideal to have a player of his importance out for four to six weeks. A couple of quick tips off you before we let you go. Garby A-Leg action tonight. Brisbane Raw and Western United at Amy Park. Massive game. The Aloisi brothers go head-to-head for the first time they ever. They do. One, yeah. yeah. One, one's having a better fist of it this year than the other, of course. <laughs> exactly. So... Ross has got the Brisbane Raw flying and Johnny's in a, a lot of trouble at Western United. They've lost six in a row and they got hammered against the Central Coast Mariners last week. I think there'll be a response from Western United. I, I've got the feeling that that defeat was so bad that uh, the players will lift for Johnny. So I'm going to go the upset based on form and, uh, and tip Western United in that one. And the Wanderers almost pulled off a comeback last week against a victory. They take on Adelaide. I think they'll be too good for Adelaide. Uh, Adelaide have got some problems at the moment. They don't seem to be clicking. Carl Bitt's not happy at all with the way his team is travelling. Nestoria and Kunda was in tears after being substituted last week. So his confidence, you know, where's it at? Wanderers look strong. And uh, I think they'll just be too stable all across the park. I'll sit Western Sydney at home. I think they're a, a serious title contender. And then tomorrow morning, 7am, Tottenham and Notts Forest at City Ground. Yeah, big game for Ange and, uh, and for Spurs, of course. And uh, you know, the way in which they played against Newcastle United, you know, you'd back them. So Nottingham Forest are going nicely, though. They're in a, a decent spot. It won't be easy, but uh, we'll back Tottenham in that one. Great to catch up, Garby. We'll hear you filling in for Jimmy next week and on the global game as well. Take care. Looking forward to it. Thanks, mate. We're in the final couple of furlongs for this day, for this week. As a matter of fact, Jules, we're on summer morning. Gee, there's been so much happening. We had a few technical issues, but we roll on. Thank you, everybody, for contributing to the program, not just today, but indeed all of this week. Back to the open line we go on one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Good morning, Mike. Hey, Jules. I've got a few things to talk about, um, but um, with Vegemite, uh, it's got about 10,000 <laughs> milligrams of sodium in it, so... It does. Probably at my age, it might be my last Vegemite if I have too many. What about the blood pressure, Uh, Mike? You know, just the. (laughs) Yeah, mate. (laughs) It's all right when you're young, I think. Um, Just looking at that um, Cowboys dilemma with the four forwards, or four forwards won't go into three positions. um, I I sort of read where 
bit of Puriaki might have extended, uh, and maybe that's why Lukey is um, looking elsewhere. Um, he'd probably be my choice to go elsewhere. I don't want to lose any of them, but um, he's probably... Uh, Lukey, that is? If you had to let go one, you'd let yeah. go Lukey's, yeah. It's probably funny to say that, but he's the one who's... Well, he doesn't have the the step or the elusiveness and he doesn't... I think Finnafiliaki is the best of the four, actually. He's um, excellent. I mean, still a small yeah, sample so, size granted, but, yeah, he's highly regarded. Yeah. yeah. Um, the opening... Um, I would have thought um, Head could open with... Uh, you know, he's a fairly active type to balance Kawaja. Um, mm. And then... Has anybody talked about Aaron Hardy or... Uh, look, Aaron Hardy at the moment, he's, he's, he's a wonderful player, Mike, really good player. Mm. You know, Mike Hussey's a big fan of him. He's almost like a, I won't call him a mini Cameron Green, but sort of even a similar mould. Mm. So you've already got two WA all-rounders in that squad in Green and in Marsh. And I, I like him a lot mm. as a cricketer. He's probably more of a white ball player at the moment. I, I want to see a bigger sample size of first-class cricket before we think yeah. about where you might play him. Um, as for Travis yeah. Head opening, I know that's yeah. been floated. He, he can do it. He's done it in one-day cricket and did a bit in India. But I, I like the idea yeah. of Head in the middle order, you know, playing that Gilchrist role where coming off a solid start, yeah. he's a guy that just can go and run a ball and really take a game yeah. away from you. I, I think that's his position, yeah. Travis Head, and I wouldn't like to shake it up. Julian, do you think Marnus has become a bit scratchy in the last 12 months or so with his starts? Uh, I never really thought much about it. No, it didn't. It didn't jump out at me that it'd be scratchy. Um, you know, a pretty handy right. World Cup considering he wasn't in the squad. Um, Steve Smith, I yeah. think, maybe a larger concern given where he is in his career, sort of pushing mid thirties. And we talked about Warner's diminishing returns. At, and yeah, he's coming off a high base and. We expect Smith to score a hundred every second Test match. He's not doing that now and getting stars, but getting out in a manner which he never used to, sort of say, you know, yeah. three, four years ago, Steve Smith, squaring himself up a bit more. They got him on that kind of sixth-up line yesterday. It just, you know, he's, he's probably yeah. the best problem solver in, in world cricket still, Steve Smith. But, you know, again, yeah. this is what I said, you know, what point do we start having a conversation about when the curtain might be drawn on Steve Smith's test career? Yeah. And listen, can I come down and live in New South Wales to get away from these... Uh, Union puppets in Queensland, <laughs> the latest premier. Mike, we had enough politics and on the program yesterday. Please, it's the weekend. It's the weekend. And my final yeah, one. Yeah, we can jump forward now. One. Mike, I've got to fly. Mate, thank you so much for your call. Have a great weekend. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Hello, Paramount. Hey, g'day, Jules. Poor old banana vendors. They're always complaining. Uh, yeah, um, I, I, I was born like there. I don't record. mind Queensland. Oh. Yep, go. Well, I mean, you were born there, weren't you? I was, yes. Yeah, well, Love the Sunshine we've all got State. Some fault. Yeah. Oh, no, hello to our friends in SENQ. Uh, Paramount doesn't speak for the SEN network. <laughs> <laughs> nice place to visit on a, on a sunny day when, they, when they're not yes. having a cyclone, the poor buggers. Um, yeah. They're not just like put on the record there, Jules. I have not been speaking with Japan Rugby. So uh, I just want to have that. Well, I mean, you say that, that Paramat, but but how do we know? Because we've been burnt by denials well, before. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have not been speaking. Did you hear what I said? I have not been speaking with Japan rugby. So yeah, good you on. Have to ask the SMH, mate. Mate, mate. Yeah, you have to ask yeah. them, mate. To talk to them, mate. 
No, but we've got a we've got a dilemma that we need to deal with, Jules. I think we're going to need some assistance from SCN listeners for um, the future of Australian cricket. I can uh-huh. see that when Nathan Lyon um, either you know, puts up his puts, you know, puts up his green um, cap for the last time, um, we're going to need somebody to continue the um, tradition of under the Southern Cross. The team song, and, uh, yes. So Booney's had it. Neils has had it. Um, obviously, it's Mike been Hussey quite a tradition since it. Rod Marsh. Yeah. yeah. Yes. But uh, we've got a problem with. Well, I. I I think that we we saw in um, India that um, well, there's one guy ahead of Alex Carey who's the current white ball um, traditionist or, or, the, or the holder of the the song. Uh, he he stood in for Nathan Lyon while uh, he was out with his injury. Carey so did. Travis Head. Yeah, Travis Head has the schooners on the bar, you might say. Mm, mm. Um, and whether or not we have now, or, or Australian cricketers now, kiboshed themselves by earmarking him as a co-captain with with a possible trajectory into captaincy, that once, you know, as the tradition shows, once the holder of the song becomes captain, they need to pass the tradition on. So Alan Border had to do it. Justin Langer had to do it. Ricky Ponting had to do it. So, um, yeah, we, we've got a dilemma. So, might bypass think... him is what you're saying. So, Pat Cummins, when he retires, it probably won't be Steve Smith. They'll give the captaincy, say, for example, Travis Head, which means he, he won't lead the team in song. I suppose they could always change that tradition. So, who's it going to be? Because, you know, Mitchell Johnson of others have pointed out the fact that this is an ageing side. So, I think uh, Marnus is 29. He's the youngest in the team. Travis Head's 29, but he'll be 30 in a couple of weeks' time. So who's got to do it? Is it Alex Carey? Mm. Or if, yeah. if Cam Green gets in the side, maybe Cam Green as, as the future of this team can, can have it for the good part of a decade if he wants. I, I think you need to look at the tradition as well as to the the habits uh, off the field that were displayed for the um, qualities that were needed to hold that title. You know, Rod Marsh, uh, David Boone, um, Ricky Ponting. You know, we, we dare we mention the... Beef and Burgundy. Um, what, you know, there is a, a, a certain beef steak, quality yeah. that's required. Yeah, yeah. yeah I see what you, yeah. I see. What you're getting at here, Paramount. This, this is food for thought, and maybe we can explore this further on the program next week because we are sort of running out of time, of course. But uh, and we don't want to push Nathan Lyon, of course, into premature retirement because he's indestructible, oh, no, no. Nathan Lyon. But but mm. but it needs to be succession planning. The Australian cricket team doesn't just involve uh, who's going to play. But who will then sing the team song? Uh, fascinating discussion oh, as always, Paramount. I know you're an outside-the-box thinker. Good to hear from you. <laughs> Are you getting out of the test, by the way, Paramount? I would love to. Uh, I'm, I'm confined to quarters, unfortunately, at the moment. No, oh, that's a shame. That's yeah. a shame. Yeah. Well, you better hurry up because there's uh, barely a spare seat in the house. Only about 50,000. <laughs> I think I could, I could quite happily uh, isolate out there. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you could indeed. Thank you, mate. Cheers. Jeez, one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Morning, Kingy. The top ten lists are always subjective. It makes great lasagna talk. Not often everyone will agree, and that's fine. I do take exception to people who uh, putting everyone in list if you haven't seen the play. Yes, numbers speak for themselves, but you generally only see the highlights of older generation players and not any lowlights or failures. Yeah, we can go on what others have said about them. 
uh, can't you, Rob? In rugby league terms, I'd have Thurston and Lockyer combination, uh, Slater at the back and Cronk at 14. Over any other combination, and I've seen them all play with my own eyes. Any team with that group of players would win more games than they lose. Well, obviously, none of them are immortals yet anyway. Cronk uh, Lo- won't be. Thurston, Lockyer prob- and Slater, in fact, I can see all of them. Being mortals, they've got to be in the Hall of Fame first. Lockyer for me is the next in mind. Um, some will cite his defence, but to be a world class fullback, world class 5 8, I mean, I'm a massive, massive Darren Lockyer fan. Wonderful players, and we we're blessed, weren't we, Rob, to exist in this era? We see some of the all time greats loaded in a team and set up a dynasty, as we saw with that Queensland Origin team. We'll take a break back with more. Fast running at a time, and I see in summer mornings, I better drag the gruesome twosome in because I've been champing the bit to have a chat. I talk about 2am Tommy and Alex, the maestro. Now, hopefully day two is not a snore fest at Optus Stadium. If you don't want to snore, go to the good people at ResMed. Thanks to ResMed, awaken your best performance with ResMed. What is going to be this weekend's breathtaking moments? Let's get the opinions. Uh, let's go with you first, Tommy. Um, morning, Jules. Alex, the, what do you call us, the Something Troublesome 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 Gruesome Troublesome Gruesome Troublesome I don't mind that I like that We'll steal that Alex um, I'm going to go with Hey guess what Davey Warner right. Stepping mm. up again In the second innings He's going to get another century This test Hunter in both digs Like Hunter it in both digs Like it Okay My prediction Would you be... call that a bold prediction Semi bold It doesn't happen very often But okay. Yeah So you reckon Davey Warner uh, To go with his 164 In the first innings He's going to have 100 In the second innings That'd be nice 100% Okay, what about you, Mark? Uh, can I be a bit grimmer? I'm, oh, I don't think Tom's is possible because oh. Australia are going to win this game by an innings. They're not going to bat again. They're going to well, enforce on, the follow on. I mean, you never know. What if they get rolled for like 380? What if they, they got five in the shed? They could collapse and then Pakistan could get 300. Then they'll have to bat again, try and get a 300 something run lead. It's possible. Uh, I, I like Mitch Marsh to go. I think he's playing some terrific cricket at the moment. The and if. Well, if Alex Carey can hold down the other end, even the bowlers, I, I think yeah. he could really take this game away from Pakistan quite quickly. And I tend to think that's more likely than than the alternative option, which you just uh, talked about, where they... OK, so you like Mitch, Mitch Marsh, the Bison, to hit 100. That's going to be your breathtaking moment this weekend. I think, no, it's not particularly breathtaking. Well, it will be breathtaking because it is a, a huge milestone. He only needs four more wickets. Nathan Lyon currently on 496. I'm tipping him to get to it in Pakistan's first innings. There you go. Nathan Lyon to reach 500 test wickets. That is my breathtaking moment for the weekend. Thanks to ResMed helping Aussies sleep and breathe better for over 30 years. Free online sleep assessment at resmed.com.au. That is resmed.com.au. Now, we talk health tips as well, don't we, in the program every Friday. And I spoke a little earlier, gentlemen, about avocado. And I've got to say that I was stunned that Jason Hornsby doesn't like Vegemite. That's, that's a bit strange. Mm. Fast fuel meals, healthy meals ready fast. Uh, let's share our health tips. Let's start with you, Tommy. Um, health tips, use the sun to your advantage this weekend when you get up. Try not going on your phone straight away. Go outside for a little walk, get that sunlight in your eyes, on your body, first 20, 30 <laughs> minutes of the day. Good healthy the tip for you. Circadian rhythms. Yes. I like that. I mm. like that. And you just, thought deeply about that one too. Sorry, yes. can I quickly say as well... It, I, I really hope we don't take this... I don't mean to get too lovey-dovey here, but let's not take this Australian team for granted right now. We've got Nathan Lyon, who's about to hit 500 test wickets. So he's number three all-time for Australia test wicket takers. And then we've got, what, Steve Smith, who's number four, and David Warner, who's number five, most test runs for their country. Mm. So three guys there who are in rarefied air. They're 
part of top three and top five in terms of wickets and runs, tests for Australia, like it's it's pretty amazing. So let's not take and it for granted. That's what we're three of our greatest ever quicks too. Yeah, exactly. So let's not take it for granted. That's all I'll say. Okay. Maestro, you're a health freak. What's your health tip for the week? Thanks for fast fuel meals. Uh, don't have eight beers at your Christmas party and go to work the next day. That's my health sound tip. It's, it's sound advice. It's very simple to do. Um, and I'm speaking because I'm sitting here a little worse for wear this morning. A little uh, dusty, yeah. On, on I had two mid drinks and uh, a soda. That was my mm. see. That's that healthy. Was my menu for last night. Mm, that's I'm healthy. Just, mate, I'm you know a family man now, mate. I can't do those big nights anymore. Mm. Having said that, there was plenty left on the bar tab. Bar tab. Not going to lie, I did think about it. Do I ditch the car? I said I can't. Got a nine o'clock show. Mm. Cannot happen. Uh, okay, those are our, our health tips for the weekend and avocado. Getting the good fats, lower your oh, cholesterol because yep. you're going to eat some. Lindsay Collins over across. here, the avocado man. Yeah, Delhi Matthew Delvadova, a massive avocado fan. Uh, they're onto something. They're onto something. That is thanks to Fast Fuel Meals. Uh, the boys have shared their health tips. So don't have eight beers and come to work. Uh, don't go straight to your phone. Enjoy the sun. Sun up, get some vitamin D, get your circadian rhythms going. Uh, very good one from Tommy. And eat some more avocados. You can pick them up. If you shop around, and get them for a buck at the moment for a good house avocado. It's a meal in itself. Fast fuel meals, healthy meals, ready fast. Enjoy quality food that tastes great and saves you time. We'll take one last break, come back and wrap things up here on Summer Morning. Uh, Berkeley Eagle on the text line says, Jules, try the Bundy Alcoholic Ginger Beer. Uh, beautiful drop. I will give it... You know, I probably have tried it over the years. I'm generally not a fan of the sweet, sweet stuff anymore. And your palate evolves as you get older, as you know, Berkeley Eagle. So I like a, a beer, the bitterness of it. Or maybe something with a soda, like a little whiskey and soda. Otherwise, just have the whiskey neat or a beautiful red or a beautiful white. But I tend not to have the super sweet alcoholic drinks anymore. But just for you, Berkeley Eagle, this weekend, I will give it a lash. I'll give it a lash. Just before we go, uh, champion jockey Jamie Carr has been cleared of conduct prejudicial to the image of racing in relation to this white powder controversy. So the decision to, to dismiss the charge delivered on Friday or today by Victorian Racing Tribunal Judge John Bowman has drawn to a close a six-month legal argument. In handing down his decision, the tribunal concluded that the brief video was taken without Carr's knowledge or consent, expressed or implied it was not until a couple of days later you were aware of its existence. So JB Carr has been cleared of conduct prejudicial to the image of racing in relation to that white powder controversy. That is us done and dusted for the week. Uh, enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the cricket. Australia well plays five for 346. Go you Aussies. You can get on with it. Thanks to our guests on the program today, to Gavin Robertson, to Chris Nelson, Jaleesa Apps, Adam Collins, Daniel Garb, to you, 2AM Tommy, and to you, Maestro. Thanks for the play-out music today. Yes, it is my birthday. I share it with Greg Moe Matthews, Frankie Dottori, and Timmy Webster. Have a great weekend, everyone. Stay warm, stay dry, stay safe, or stay cool, I should say, and I'll catch you same time on Monday. Until then, bye-bye. Take care. Oh, man, who died for good? Not have a David